Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And, wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone, this is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please, send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Teese, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that right? What we're drinking? It's amazing. It's amazing. Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Teese, friends, and listen to what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Prevail. I'm Greg Oliar, and this is Prevail. Welcome to the program. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash Greg. Start living a better life today. We've got a great show. Amanda Moore is here. 
She is the MAGA infiltrator. For over a year, she was undercover among, I say MAGA, but it's really the fascists, the QAnon people, various groups. There's a whole taxonomy of this stuff that she explains. Um, and then she got docked. She got found out and abruptly had to stop, um, which is what happens when a when a spy gets made, right? So we talk about this whole story. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I learned a lot uh, about what she did, but also about the people that she was with and how they're different, how they're the same, how they're like us, how they're not, how they're presented in the media accurately and how they're not. Pretty fascinating interview. Um, so stick around for that. If you did not watch the 5-8 on Friday, I encourage you to go back and watch it. Um, I <laughs> didn't talk as much as usual. We had Pete Strzok on, um, former deputy uh, counterintelligence at the FBI and the agent who started Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation, the counterintelligence investigation into the, uh, the Russia ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. Um, really great interview with him. You know, he was honest and uh, explained a lot of stuff, insightful. He was also really, really funny. So uh, if you haven't seen that, check it out. LB and I on our show, The 5-8, we're very bad about saying, hey, subscribe. So I'm going to say it here also on the podcast. If you have a YouTube page, go to The 5-8 and subscribe. You don't have to do anything. You just have to click the button, right? And just do that. It would help us out a lot. If you have not done that for this show, please go subscribe. Um, depending on what app you're using, it's in a slightly different place. There's like usually there's a little plus button that you can hit. That would help me out a lot. And of course, if you'd like to subscribe to my Substack on Prevail, that would be great too. Um, thanks to everybody who bought my book, Empress, still available on Amazon. I guess that Amazon will be available forever. The asteroid will hit and, and uh, <laughs> you know, you still be able to get your copy. But um, thanks to everybody who bought the book. Really appreciate that. I hope everybody is, uh, is enjoying it. Um, I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It's uh, Wednesday at around 6.20 Eastern time. As I'm talking, the hurricane is pounding Florida. It's just made landfall maybe about an hour ago. I don't know yet what's going to happen by the time uh, you're hearing this on Friday. We're going to know. I'm just going to say, you know, prayers up for the people of Florida. I hope that this is uh, less severe than, than what everybody seems to be forecasting. Yeah, I, I you know, I, no, no jokes or anything like that. I, 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 these things are really scary and, you know, they can be devastating. And I, you know, I'm just thinking about everybody. My, I have a lot of friends in Florida. And I'm thinking about everybody. Hoping everybody is safe. Also on the 5-8 this past week, uh, I waited. Usually I run whatever. If I do a song, I'll run it on the podcast first, and then we'll show it on the 5-8. This week, I did not do that. This week, I was like, we're just going to do this all at once and, and release it live. And the reason why is because I wrote this thing, and it is a parody of a song from Les Mis. And I recorded it and I sang it and I'm like, eh, it's okay, you know. And then it dawned on me that my friend and my wife's best friend, Marsh Hansen, fantastic singer, he played Marius in Les Mis on Broadway. And I'm like, rather than me try to sing it, I'll get Marsh to sing it, right? So <laughs> anyway, I wanted to give him credit because there's no way in, the, in, the, in these things to really give credit for the stuff. So I wanted to give him credit up front um, again, Amanda Moore, uh, her Twitter handle is no turtle soup 17, which is a little bit strange, but she explains what that means later on. It's a fascinating story. I learned a lot from this and I, I think you guys will too. Uh, so we'll be right back. 
with Amanda Moore. Rage, spewing the lies of QAnon. JFK Jr. is alive. They say it's clear their brains are gone. They broke through the barricades, heeding the call of Donald Trump. Then they all ran to the Capitol and they took a dump. They hate women and minorities and immigrants and gays. On their lawns are Let's Go Brandon flags and MAGA CAG displays. The insurrection gave them erections for days. Do you hear the zombies rage? Listening still to Alex Jones. Even when agents from the FBI showed up and seized their phones, they lie felons like Mike Flynn and frauds like Mike Lindell. And today I'd like to say they can go to Mar-a-Lago. Amanda Moore, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. For people who don't know, you infiltrated the QAnon, white nationalist, uh, what used to be called the alt-right movements. And you were in there for a while, um, kind of throughout the quarantine period, um, reporting on what was going on. And it's it's a fascinating story. I want to hear about the whole thing. Um, but before we get to the to the nuts and bolts of uh, of what happened. Go back to before this, you decided to do this. Like, what, where were you? What were you doing? How did you make time? What prompted you to say to yourself, this is the, this is the way that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate myself to the effort here? So I used to own a business in the live events industry, which was obviously decimated by COVID. Um, I was mixed income, which means that some of my income was uh, 1099, which is what I paid myself through my business. But I bartended um, and made some W-2 income. And because I made any W-2 income at all, that's what my unemployment was based off of for the pandemic. Uh, so I got $100 a week in unemployment. Um, I was super depressed, lost my home, had a lot of free time because obviously, you know, I'm not yeah. uh, working. And, you know, I for a while, there was a $600 a week. We got the, the checks, but I wasn't paying rent anymore because I you know, wasn't willing to go into debt to my landlord, tens of thousands of dollars. And so I was like, well, what can I spend my money on? I guess I'm going to go to CPAC. Um, And that's kind of how that started. I've always had an interest in following the far right. I was raised evangelical. You know, my parents are both Trump supporters. I... Yeah, I've always monitored it. There was a, a QAnon rally back in 2019 on the National Mall that I went to, um, not as a QAnon supporter, but as, you know, an observer. Um, and I've always wanted to be a writer or a journalist, but it's just really hard to break into it. Um, and outside of COVID, it would have paid me less money than my job that no longer exists. <laughs> right. uh, so I never did. But that's kind of, you know, where I was. Wow. So. Now, what what industry was the job in? I missed I missed what you said. It was a um, live events? I owned an agency that provided models for exhibitors at trade shows. Oh, okay, okay, live events. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was estimated. I mean, it's not like bartending is any better. I mean, the whole the restaurant industry obviously went through a, a, a terrible uh, downturn and and all this kind of stuff. So, okay, so yeah. you're now your parents are evangelicals. Um, what does that mean exactly to you? Like, how, what 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 
denomination are they? What were you raised to believe? So actually, my mother is not religious, uh, just my father is. They're divorced now. Um, they divorced when I was 18. But, you know, my dad is very much uh, like uh, people speaking in tongues. You know, I was always taught from him. That was something to, to respect. Um, I went to a Baptist school that, you know, I think my father had more extreme views than my my school did. Um, so at least, you know, I had like some <laughs> some some kind of break from it. Um, and you know, he, he's got his pastor, he says, raises people from the dead, uh, right now. So that kind of stuff, I don't know that he would, I don't really know what he would call himself, what denomination or anything that he would say, uh, okay. to be honest with you. That that's enough. I think that's, that, that gives mm-hmm. us a, a, raising a, people a, from a the framework to, uh, yeah. Raising people from the dead <laughs> is pretty, um, if they, if, you know, you could make a lot of money doing that probably if you could figure out how to, how to get it done. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right. Now, what, was there one you said you went to the to the QAnon rally sort of as a just a, an observer just to see what it was all about? Was there any moment that you decided to jump in? You said CPAC was that was the first thing that you went to? Well, that QAnon rally had been, I mean, years, it was before the pandemic. I know I had been, I mean, I live in DC, so I've been to a bunch of these things. Um, I was at Trump's inauguration, you know, um, again, not as a fan. You were one of the seven people that were there. It's good. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I, it is, you know, it's a funny one up because people do try to talk about January 6th, the inauguration and give me misinformation. And I'm like, I was at both of these things. <laughs> like I saw with my own eyes, <laughs> you know? Um, so right after Trump lost the election uh, in November, 2020, maybe five days later there was a million mega march in dc so i was at a spin class outdoors and i walked over to it afterwards and um kind of just you know i wore a mask i had my iphone i was asking people can i take a picture oh your shirt's so great and just kind of tweeting about it um and at this point my twitter was not anonymous and there was a second one in december because the first million mega march was not enough to overturn the election um and so a podcast asked me to record some audio because they knew i would go anyway and they gave me all these rules they're like make sure you wear a mask like you have to be safe blah blah blah. and like i got there and the whole vibe was so different like a couple hours in i'm like the mask has to go i i can't tell people i'm recording them i was like they're so hostile they're so angry they're so mad about masks they're so mad at journalists so i kind of just was like a little undercover. Um, and I stayed through the evening at Harry's, the, the MAGA bar in DC where everybody goes afterwards where people got stabbed. Right. And then the third thing I went to, you know, was there was supposed to be a third rally. And I was like, well, I'll go to this and maybe that podcast will buy audio again, or maybe I can try to pitch an article somewhere and make a couple hundred bucks or sell the audio to a different podcast. We'll see. And I, I got a little voice recorder and I hid it uh, in my bra. <laughs> And I had it like in my sleeve or in my bra, depending on what I was, who I was talking to. And uh, that ended up being the insurrection. So at some point that day, I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'll go to CPAC. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how it spiraled. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's, it, it's courageous. Now, the, I, I've read, you know, you, you've written a couple of pieces or one of them you wrote, one of them was about the, the experience. And one of the things that I, I want to get into is, what the people were like at these things, because um, I feel like the way that that I look at everybody that's involved with this is different than what, you know, it really is on the ground, because that that seemed to be the main takeaway for me looking at what you described is once people were there specifically at, 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 on January 6th, there was a sense of belonging and there was a sense of we're doing the right thing. Everybody else is wrong. They're all after us. We have to we have to protect each other and and, and that kind of thing. And the vibe wasn't necessarily what 
someone like me would think. Is that accurate or talk to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it um, it was very bizarre. It is very much like, well, I'll start, I'll start with the December rally, the second rally yeah. that evening after the rally was over, I was, you know, walking around and everywhere you went, um, people were very worried, you know, that I was alone. Um, because they they were afraid. They were like, you know, the police aren't allowed. Basically, the police aren't allowed to beat people up anymore. So they can't really help protect us. Um, you got to find a proud boy if you're going to, you know, venture off alone and walk to your car to grab something. Like, it's just too dangerous. It's too scary. It's like, who are you afraid of? Like, you guys are the ones stabbing people. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, right. So... So it was this like intense fear and paranoia that everybody in DC was out to get them, that everybody was Antifa in the like, you know, the stereotype yeah. of what they think Antifa is kind of sense. I mean, because to be fair, most people in DC really wanted them to leave. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but, you know, they weren't out attacking them. And so it kind of built this like sense of camaraderie where it's like us against the world. And so by the time January 6th happened, I mean, that day was it, first. There's so many people. I I showed up and I <laughs> I was shocked at how many people they were. I mean, it just an unbelievable amount of people. And something that I had never really seen before was, you know, you'd have a guy in a QAnon shirt and he'd be talking to a guy with three percenter gear on. And these are groups that you know they have the same kind of ultimate goal at the end of the day, but they historically had not been besties, um, to yeah. say the least. You know, but there was you know kind of people. They it, it transcended those, you know, like social lines that would usually exist. So it's like Marvel Comics, DC Comics. It was the thing where, you know, they all get together to fight the perceived bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they were like literally grilling hot dogs together and stuff. It was really strange. Yeah. Um, so so there was that. And then where I was at when I went down to the Capitol, you know, they were the police were like throwing pepper bombs and, you know, lightly tear gassing people. But the wind was blowing it back at the police. So where I was standing, people were like, oh, yeah, they're like trying to get the Antifas because and I, my my perception of this, having been at the other rallies, is that it kind of there have been a handful of protesters at the first two rallies. There were not really any at the January 6th. And I think people who had been at the other two rallies were like, this is where Antifa had been given their little pin to protest. And so that is obviously what's happening here. But apparently if you were on a different part of the grounds, um, you know, people were immediately like, oh, it's Antifa that's breaking into the Capitol, you know? So it kind of just was miscommunication. Whoever you were is kind of the story that you got. Um, but you know, there would be proud boys that would be exiting the Capitol and they would just be yelling back up medical emergency and like lead a guy crying, you know, tear gas, you know, tears running down his face. Um, people would just part the crowd and let him through and then just keep on, you know, marching forward. And it's like kids and grandmas, you know, and nobody cared because it was like it was the experience, um, which is something that lasted throughout the entire thing. A lot of the stuff I was going to, um, obviously you have to be fairly dedicated to MAGA to go to some of these things because some of them are extremely expensive. Everybody, almost every single person I ever met had been in January 6th and everyone said it was one of the best days of their life, you know? So that like feeling of togetherness kind of stuck with people. I mean, you know, how many opportunities do you have to storm the Capitol? You know, I guess it's probably <laughs> too fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe maybe they feel slightly different about it now. But I mean, I get that piece of it. And I think that's part of what they're trying to manipulate. 
um, you know, and, and create this sense of camaraderie and this sense of we're in it together, or we're doing the right thing. I think without absent all of those things, it, it could not have worked. Um, I want to go, you, 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 when we were DMing to set this up, you said, do you want me to talk about more QAnon or more of the white nationalist people? So I think one thing, in, at least in my mind, I do know a little bit about the differences between like three percenters, the Oath Keepers and the, the Proud Boys and this and that. But um, and then the QAnon people, which is a, a different sort of and in some ways overarching thing where it's just kind of the uh, almost like the, uh, the the speaking in tongues segment of this of this group of people, if you will. Yes. Um but can you go through and just kind of hit on what the distinctions are between these groups, just for people who might not be aware and just so I can get a better sense of it? Absolutely. But first, I'm going to say I'm going to double down on your QAnon is kind of like speaking in tongues because <laughs> I broke my arm halfway through this project and I had to have surgery. And I went to a QAnon event and three different people prayed in tongues on my arm. <laughs> so oh my God, okay. it's yeah. not just like praying in tongues. It is. Did it help? Did it, did it help? I guess there's no, no there's I, no, there, there's no constant in the experiments so and we'll never know. Well, I, yeah. I still had to have surgery when I got back home, so I don't think it worked very well. Okay. So yeah, so I will caveat this by saying I am, I was 33, I'm 34 now. I'm like, you know, blonde i'm like fairly like feminine i my dress and like the way i present myself and that is true of me is you know real me and also is undercover me because i didn't change you know anything about like i just did like a racist fascist version of myself i didn't try to adopt a whole different you know character so there's some self (laughs) so there's like some self-selection in terms of who connected with with me. Right. So for me, I had like the QAnon people who were just so happy to have somebody younger there. <laughs> um, and then I had um, like the fascist group and that group was people who were pretty much between the ages of like, I would say between 26 and 35 years old um, who, you know, if they weren't at Charlottesville, they spoke openly about how uh great they thought unite the right was you know that kind of stuff like they would be the true like former alt-right and many of them were um so that would be the difference i would say the best way to kind of think about it is that you can walk into an event with these guys you know the white nationalist guys that i was hanging out with and you could drop a couple of slurs and it would be great they would love it if you walk into a QAnon event and do that people are going to be extremely offended um they're going to be like you know we don't but if you just say the dog whistles, you know, circling those slurs, they're going to okay. be like, yeah, that does sound correct. Yes, I do believe the Jews did that. Yes, I do. You know, um, so it's kind of it's kind of like, um, I don't know, just a more like conspiracy laden. I also find that the QAnon people are so wrapped up in conspiracies that it's it's impossible to have a conversation with them about anything else. Mm. Which, if anybody's listening has lost somebody to QAnon, then you know that. Um, because oh, white nationalists, you know, at least the ones I was hanging out with, like, I mean, many of them do not believe the election was stolen. They they know, you know, that Biden won the election. Um, and they can talk about normal stuff and make jokes, you know, that kind of transcend politics or you know, offensiveness, uh, but QAnon people really just, everything has to come back to conspiracy. It's just like, it's, it's all, it's all consuming for them. Well, let's, okay. Let's stay with QAnon for a second then, because sure. the thing that doesn't make sense to me, like there, there's a group of, um, I think it's the Jehovah's who, who, uh, 
the original idea was that the world was going to end in 1914 or 18 or whatever year it was. And then, um, you know, I'm no math major, but I'm pretty sure that was over a hundred years ago. So it's like when the year comes and goes <laughs> and nothing happens, why do people keep believing this? And I feel like with, with QAnon, it's the same thing. Like they say, this is going to happen now. And then whatever date goes by and it doesn't happen. And there's always some, I mean, I'm not all that into it. It's just, it's so gobbledygook. It doesn't make sense to me that JFK, if JFK Jr. would still be, was still alive somehow, he would not be on Trump's side, you know, like, like something like that. This is very basic, but, but I, I got then Robert Kennedy, who knows, but like, is there, what am I even trying to ask here? Does it make sense? Like, how do people reconcile that? How do people in this group that you, that you've observed after something they say, well, Trump on March 3rd is going to do this. And then March 3rd comes and goes and nothing happens. Do they just double down? Do they move to the next thing? Do some people peel off and wake up ever? Like, what what is your take on all that? I think it's a combination of all of that, which is something you see with doomsday cults in general. You'll see, like, um, when the big predictions have come true, I mean, sometimes people um, double down, sometimes people walk away, some people commit suicide. I mean, it kind of all, like, goes across. And I think QAnon is very similar. Um, you know, it's kind of, like, keeping in that pattern. What they're excused is generally if they're the kind of people who are going to, like, just, oh, you know, whatever. They'll say, oh, it was, you know, a false flag or it was, you know, the idea was a false flag. The idea mm. that this prediction was real or, you know, and very early on, Q, whoever was doing Q in the very, very beginning, uh, was like, sometimes I have to give you false information so that you don't... Um, like just because I can't give away the game, you know, like I basically like you have to, they'll usually say, Oh, the idea was a false flag. And, and that traces back to whoever was running Q out at the beginning being like, sometimes I have to give you false information. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's just like, it's a little bit like uh, why do you make me hurt you? You know, kind of what it feels like to me. So, or, or, you know, they'll be like, well, behind the scenes, things are happening and that's why this didn't happen. Um, or it's, you know, 17 D chess. I mean, they really come up with all kinds of excuses. Um, and then when they're like together in person with each other, there is a bunch of social pressure, I think, to, mm. uh, kind of gloss over things or to accept new twists and turns to the QAnon lore that maybe did not used to exist. So what is right now? What is the QAnon lore? What is the what is the central tenet of QAnonism? Is it just that there's a bunch of rich pedophiles that are wreaking havoc on society, or is it something yeah. else? Yeah, I mean that's the underlying like whole thing of it is is save the kids, um, and that's you know during during COVID during 2020 the summer 2020 save the kids was you know it kind of became this like dog whistle for QAnon. Yeah. And it's a, it was a great recruitment tactic because, you know, who can argue with save the kids on its face. Um, and, you know, that's like what now we're seeing um, with, with the grooming stuff, you know, save yeah. the kids from the grandmothers. It's just kind of like all, so they're like pretty focused on that. And I think the election are really it. And then there's um, some very like niche, boring infighting drama because various QAnon leaders, interpret QAnon in different ways. You know, some get really angry when people talk about JFK Jr. They're like, that's not true. And obviously others seem to think that they are JFK Jr. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, there's the, the infighting. I think that probably occupies 15% of their time. And then the rest is mostly uh, the election was stolen and, and grooming of kids. 
Wow. And they, it never occurs to them that that the pedophiles are actually Trump and people in his circle, even though, you know, we have Matt <laughs> Gates Venmoing, we have Epstein, we have all this shit. Like, if something like that exists. Yeah. Anyway, it just. Well, it is, I was at Trump's Rally in April 2021 and this woman was talking to me and they, they just did the Save the Kids talk. It was actually they, they were talking about CRT and how it's a gateway. Like the, uh, the woman talking said, Democrats want to teach your children about CRT because uh, it makes them more susceptible to getting abducted to be child sex trafficked, which is like, I don't even understand the logic. There's literally no logic. But after she spoke, uh, one of the audience and I were talking and she was all upset. She was saying, you know, I just wish that we could do something about, you know, all of these pedophiles in Hollywood, they're everywhere. And then she said, did you get a ticket to see Matt Gates talk later tonight? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this was his first speech that he gave after uh, the accusations came out against him, too, because it was April 2021. I'm just like, how do you not? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't it 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 just doesn't make sense. Um but I don't I, I get the lore of of conspiracy. I get all of that. Like it it once you get into this world and you think oh there's something beyond and there's something here. I I understand the appeal of it and wanting to know what the secrets are that are being kept from us. I mean, one of the problems with you know that that I've written about um in the last 5 years is that some of the stuff that Trump did wasn't released or revealed by um, the FBI, the CIA, you know, his his dealings with Russia and all the other stuff long before he was ever even a candidate um, was kept quiet and the media didn't report on it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so there is this secrecy that does that is real, just like there are pedophiles in positions of power that that Dennis Hastert was the speaker of the House for how long? Is he the second longest running speaker of the House ever? You know, so they but they they're very clever. These QAnon, whoever's running this little op of, at taking the things and twisting them around in, in, in such a way that makes, I think, well-meaning in some cases, people take guns and go to the goddamn Comet Ping Pong, which doesn't even have a fucking basement yeah. you know, to try to liberate kids that are in the basement. That's the thing, like pick a place that has a basement. Don't make it that easy to show that it's bullshit. <laughs> right? Okay, wait. We should take a quick break before I forget, and then we'll uh, and then we'll continue because I got a lot more questions for you. Uh, we'll be right back with Amanda Moore. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. For ten percent off your first month, go to betterhelp.com/greg. Start living a better life today. You know, it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. And let's face it, right now there's a lot of challenges. Like even in a global sense, we have we have fascists trying to take over the government. We have climate change. Everybody is still reeling from the the pandemic and the quarantine and all of the the adverse mental health effects of that. It's hard. Sometimes I I mean me I just sometimes I want to curl up under my desk and and, and just stay there. But that doesn't really solve anything. We have to find our own solutions. And when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or how small. Now, I'm a big believer in therapy. My wife's a therapist. I've been to therapy on and off. And when BetterHelp started sponsoring Prevail Podcasts, uh, I don't know, earlier this year, last year, whenever it was, I took advantage of it. I went to BetterHelp. I used the promo code. I got 10% off and I got hooked up with a really great therapist who absolutely helped me. 
And I'm delighted that they're back sponsoring the show because I want them to help you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. Switch therapists at any time. I didn't have to. I love my therapist, but you can switch if you want. It usually takes like 48 hours to get started, which is great because when you're in a crisis, you want to talk to somebody like sooner rather than later, right? It's it's really just a great service. Like I said, I'm delighted. I'm very, very happy that they're back sponsoring the pod. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greg today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Greg. Start living a better life today. Okay, we're back with Amanda Moore. We're talking about QAnon. Before I interrupted you and we went on, uh, we went off on this wild tangent talking about QAnon <laughs> incredibly. Um, you were giving us the rundown on the other groups, the three percenters, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys. Um, before before I slips my mind again, um, tell us a little more about those groups. I can say I have knowledge of those groups because I've been following this stuff forever. I mean, I I can we can talk about in 2009, I can talk about the first time Stuart Rhodes, the founder of, uh, of the Oath Keepers, went on Alex Jones' show. Like, I can do that. But I will say, to, to caveat, I did not infiltrate those groups or anybody in those groups because I was with people. This is how one of the fascists that I hung out with put it. He was like, the Proud Boys... They're the outdoor people, you know, they're supposed to sacrifice their bones and bodies to protect us. And we are the indoor people and we write the laws and they're embarrassing and you can't bring them inside. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> Did they hang out? At, they were, they hung out at Harry's bar though, too, right? Didn't they all hang out at Harry's bar? The proud boys yeah, Harry's or Trump Hotel. It depended really how much money you had um, where you went. Because, I mean, Trump Hotel, God, drinks there were like literally $24. And they're crazy. But you get a glass of wine at Harry's for eight bucks. Okay. So, where, where is Harry's? Where is it in relation to the other? So it's in downtown D.C. So um, Trump Hotel, which is no longer a Trump Hotel, but when it was, it was like on Pennsylvania. And then if you went north, I think like two blocks and then you went west, maybe two blocks right there. Harry's. Um, so it's easy walk from the Trump place. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, so there's in downtown DC from Pennsylvania up to, I think probably like G street. Uh, it's like a, maybe a block radius. There's the JW Marriott. There's a Trump hotel, you know, there's the Hyatt. So it's like where they all stay is right there concentrated in this area. And of course it's a pandemic. Um, my office is downtown and it's, you know, I've been going the entire time because it's incredibly convenient to have a place next to all of the insurrections you're attending, uh, where you have access to a bathroom, (laughs) but like it's empty. Everything is empty. And so, you know, they're not, they're not even around people during the pandemic when they were there. Uh, it was just completely like, kind of like ghost townish and they still were like, Oh, everyone is out to get us, but it's like, who are you, you know, talking about? There's nobody (laughs) That's the part of that, that kind of part of town shuts down pretty early on anyway. Right. Is it like midtown yeah. Manhattan in, in that sense? Like you can go out at eight o'clock midtown. There's not a lot of people around. So, okay. Just to get a sense of the, what's it like inside Harry's bar? Like, is it like a, a like a hotel bar, like old timey? Does it look like who, like a, like Bennigan's or something? Like what, what's, what's the vibe okay. in there? So it's inside of a hotel that I would never stay at. Uh, it's all owned by the same person. I think, I don't know. Um, 
it is literally a bar. It is like literally you walk inside and there's like the bar where you can sit at and there's a handful of tables. It's like the kind of place where there's like, like one toilet. You know what I mean? Like it's small. Okay. Uh, and then they have like an outside area too. And for December, I'm pretty sure. Um, and for January, like our indoor dining was completely closed. You could yeah. not indoor dine. So they were breaking that rule over and over. I mean, they broke rules throughout the entire pandemic at Harry's. They got in trouble repeatedly. And in fact, that was part of why I was like, I'm going to go there after the December rally, partially to keep recording these fascists, but also because I want to get Harry's fined because I was personally angry um, <laughs> that my business wasn't getting money from the state and they were, but they were, you know, flaunting the rules all of the time. Um so, yeah, so it's it's a very small little place. It's not big at all. What kind of music do they play? Or do they not play I music? I actually don't know. I like, can't, literally, I can't. nothing would surprise me. You could say country. <laughs> you could say hip-hop. You could say show tunes. Because, you know, that's where the Proud Boys get their damn name, after all. Like, n- nothing would surprise me. So. <laughs> I, will, um, I will say, it's like, it is a cop bar, but it's also, like, an industry bar. So, I've been to Harry's in the past, especially yeah. when I was working like a more Because they're open, like, pretty late. Because um, you can serve alcohol in D.C. until 4 on, like, weekends. But most places don't. And they, they always be open pretty late. But I still, even thinking about that, I'm like, I can't. I just hear silence. <laughs> I can't yeah. even imagine. <laughs> yeah. It seems that way. Um, okay, so you met a guy named Shane Trejo. Who is he? And uh, how did you meet him? And how did that whole story uh, play out? So they had an event. Um, he's with Republicans for National Renewal, which is a group that had an event at CPAC that I went to. So when I went to CPAC, I, you know, anybody can turn on the television and watch the speeches. So I didn't really care about the speeches. I just cared about being in the vicinity. Uh, and I saw that Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert, and Paul Gosar were going to be speaking in this reception one of the nights of CPAC. So I bought a ticket to it. Um, and then Lauren Boebert got replaced with Laura Loomer, uh, the noted uh, Islamophobe uh, fascist. I don't know if, that, don't know if that's a downgrade or an upgrade. I really don't know. <laughs> I, it's almost a parallel, you know, it's kind of a same job, different company kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it got replaced with her um, and I went to it and uh, Shane started talking to me when I walked in and I was like, I don't care. Uh, but then he was like, oh, I'm giving a speech. And that's how I found out he was with the company that had organized the event. Okay. So he asked for my number and I gave it to him and and that was that. That's That's literally how I met him. I... I never approached anybody when I was undercover. I let everybody approach me. Um, And it was pretty effective, (laughs) I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But so they had connections uh, earlier that day, uh, the same day that I had seen their event. Um, They had a free event earlier that day, which I missed. But that was Paul Gosar and Anthony Sabatini. And Anthony Sabatini is a, I I would go so far as to call him as a white nationalist, he certainly speaks at events that are white nationalist events. Um, and he was running for office in Florida, but he just lost his primary as well. Thankfully. Womp, womp. Yep. Mm, yeah. So they, um, you know, they've got connections with different people in Congress and different people, um, you know, lobbyists and everything kind of across the board. And they're all quite young. They're, I think probably between 26 and 30. 35. I think the oldest guy in there is like 36. Okay. 
So of all of these groups that we've sort of talked about and touched on, which one do you think is the most dangerous like now? I think, um, I mean, <laughs> I think that the people who are, you know, white nationalists and fascists who are not babbling on about conspiracy theories and, and all of that, I think that they're, you know, the most dangerous. Um, you know, they, they want to kind of recruit people into the movement. I mean, something that we would talk about would be like these QAnon people. They're like weird freaks, but, you know, we'll be nice to them because we want them on our side. Obviously talking about the Proud Boys, you know, and calling them people who should sacrifice their bones and bodies. Uh, you know, it's like a complete disregard for them as humans, but it's still an acknowledgement that not only do we need them on our side, but we also are not willing to do a role that they're going to perform themselves. So like, you know, we should have this alliance. So I think like they like younger, like true white nationalists, you know, worry me more. Um, I think it's also easier, you know, to to get people who pay 10% attention, which is, I guess, most people, right? You know, it's easier to get them to be like, Hey, these proud boys, they wore shirts that said six million wasn't enough, you know, to to the Capitol riot, which they participated in. You know, average people are gonna be like, that's bad, you know. Yeah. But it's it's much harder when somebody is a little bit more clever and coy um and put together. It's a little harder to convince people, no, you know, that that sentence is a dog whistle, you know, that that's the reference to Nazi Germany. Like one of the, like Shane ran a podcast called, you know, blood, soil and Liberty, which is a you know direct reference to Nazi Germany, but I'm not sure that most people would understand um, that blood and soil was a propaganda campaign that the Nazis ran. Um, so stuff like that, you know, it's just a little, it's a little bit more worrisome to me in terms of like long-term danger. I think in immediate danger, I think obviously the armed militia groups, I have great concerns about them at polling stations uh, for midterms, but. Yeah, I hope not. It, it, what you describe, it's sort of analogous to, I find like somebody like Elise Stefanik is more dangerous than um, the nitwits that you watched at that event, because those people are nitwits. Everybody knows they're nitwits and, they're either going to get voted out or they're going to continue not serving on any committees and just they're clowns. Whereas somebody like Stefanik knows what she's doing. She's very calculated. She's using this movement and these people to try to get into power. And she's basically trying to accrue power for her own nefarious purposes. And, you know, that's scary. The people that know what they're doing are the ones that's, that, that scare me. And that seems like, um, you know, it squares with, with what you say. Um, yeah. You know, these guys who, Oh, we're going to go take on the FBI. Well, you know, guess if you take on the FBI by yourself, um, you are going to not live probably because the FBI is going to kill you. Uh, duh. Um, you know, yeah. that that doesn't seem to be something that these people would do. You know, um, the Proud Boys can risk their life. And that totally, I, see, this is fascinating to know that because it totally makes sense. Because often these these insurgencies, these revolutionary movements are led by people that are not going to ever put themselves in harm's way. Like, yeah. for example, I don't know, I'm thinking of a of a leader of a mass movement who um, gave a big speech on January 6th and said, go to the Capitol and I will follow you. And then didn't. I, I don't know if somebody like that comes to mind, you know, a physical coward. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. it's so. funny. I actually, so I went to Portland um, to go on a picnic date with a Nazi overlooking a race riot. Uh, like it was like the Battle of Bull Run. And I brought a gas mask 
And I put it in my bag. I'm like, I'm not, you know, I had a gas mask. I had goggles. I have like the military grade goggles and everything. And I, I showed him in my bag because I was like, if we're going to be in the vicinity of this, like, it's very possible, you know, we need to be ready. Like I had sneakers on and he was just like, like panicked. Like it hadn't even crossed his mind. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is your thing. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to watch a race, right? I'm here for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very, very strange. But yeah, just this like complete disassociation. Like why, why do you think you need a gas mask? Cause I'm at a riot. <laughs> why, why wouldn't I need it? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that didn't go far. What, wait, so you went on a picnic with a, with a Nazi? Like what? Yeah. But then the riot got canceled um, and the, the proud boys, instead of having a little riot, they went and, uh, threw a party in the parking lot of an abandoned Kmart. As one does. I mean, yes. You know, sounds, sounds fun to me. Did, did they, did they deface the sign? So it said KKK Mart at least. That oh, that would have been, been, yeah, that would have been better. What they ended up doing was tear gassing themselves by accident. <laughs> So <laughs> the defacing the sign would have been more fun for them, I think. I don't know. Okay. I have to ask this too, because my perception of this, you know, and I'm just a, a, a shit lib in one of the bluest towns in, in the United States here is that the guys that are in these groups are incels. And I feel like there's a lot of people have reported this. Um, and by incel, that's short for involuntary celibate, but it means guys that basically have, have had problems finding women to date them. Uh, it, you know, that's the way I look at it. Is that true or is it, is there an overarching sort of stereotype or or a description that applies to a sizable majority of, of the guys that join the, these groups? Or what do you think? So I think it is true of like rank and file members, right? So like there is one group that was called American Populist Union, which is basically the Zoomer version of the millennial group that I was hanging out with. You know, okay. they're just 10 years younger than us or whatever. Um, they no longer called American Populist Union because they threw an event on Hitler's birthday and then they got in trouble for that. So they had to change their name. It's like American Virtue or something. Um, so they like hold events and they target, you know, fellow Zoomers. So we think of the people who organize it and of the like speakers, I don't think that's true. People who are like the architects of the movement, but within, you know, like people that come, pay to come in, I would say there's certainly like people that fall into that. There's also couples that come, you know, to these events. These events are not very women friendly, though they are very populist events. So they're more women friendly than I would say some mainstream conservative things because, you know, they're saying like, we want you to be able to stay home with your kids. And if that's your thing, then that sounds great, you know, um, because it's like, here's, you know, how we're going to like offer money or whatever for mm -hmm. you to, to be able to raise a family. So it's, it's a little bit less hostile toward women in that regard. And so you'll see couples, you'll see not so often you see single women, um, but you will see guys that I think fit that description completely. Um, I think for me, the way that I was recruiting, recruiting people, the way that I was, begging people talking to me as I was literally just sitting at the bar waiting for men to hit on me. So I was not really getting that. Like Shane has a girlfriend and also another girlfriend. <laughs> okay. And in fact, there was like a point where I thought he might be in the FBI for like, like just a couple of days. Cause the way he like, we're supposed to meet up and he blew me off very last minute. And then I realized, Oh no, he has a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, who does not know about, you know, any of the other girlfriends that he has. So um, it kind of, it kind of just depends. Um, but because I did not really spend my time with rank and file people, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like mess up someone's life just because they went to a QAnon 
you know, a conference or because they, or just because they attended a white nationalist rally. I say that as though it's like such a common thing, but like, you know, that's not, there's not much to dig into there. Like someone who attends one event and goes away. So I was like really looking for people who were like upper um, and the organizers of these kinds of things. So it's a little bit of a different world. So, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like a really long roundabout way of not answering your question. <laughs> no, no, you answered it well, because I think we're I'm learning a lot now about how this this is set up. You have you have like an inner group of people, whether it's official or not, who are a little bit smarter, a little bit savvier and not completely physically repellent to women. Um, and then the bunch of guys that are hanging around outside that want to be them in some way and cannot be so that. You know, yeah. that that seems to make sense and track with with what I know. And I, I you know, I do. Uh, Sandy Bacon has been, you know, I friends with her. She's been on my show a couple of times. She was at the insurrection. She was at all three of the things that you were that you went to, yeah. um, you know, and she Enrico Tario knows who she is, you know, to the point where he was very charming to her and, you know, put put on the charm and stuff like that. And I think you know, the leaders of the, of these groups almost by definition have to be somewhat charming or else nobody would follow them anywhere, you know, to, to some yeah. degree. So, um, yeah. I just want to, I, and I asked not to like make fun of anybody, but to really, I think it's helpful for me to not think about this as just a big clump of, of, you know, undesirable people who don't know better and who are stupid or, or mean or mean spirited or whatever, you know, adjective you want to use. Everybody that comes to these things does it for their own reason. And it's interesting to know what the reasons are and why and and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, on that note about like the me and um, people. I mean, obviously, if I I look, I look like I could be a Nazi. And so there's very little like at stake for me in that regard. But people would be very kind to me. People were always very nice to me. I mean, but they were nice to me because of of who they believed I I was. Um, But I will say, you know, if that is your thing, it's a pretty welcoming group, um, especially. Well, especially if you're a woman, because they like really need more women. Um, But, you know, there's definitely I think I've seen people kind of like because a lot of people will reach out to me that I, you know, I don't know. But people on Twitter will be like, oh, I, I'm going to go to this rally undercover. And I'm like, oh, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> I highly recommend you don't do that, actually. But people do it and they'll like report back to me and like give me updates. And a lot of people are like, I'm just so surprised at how nice everybody is. And I'm like, yeah, of course they're nice. They they think you're one of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like uh, it's, yeah. No. And they're delighted you're there. It's like anything else. You know, you have like a, a, a no. I, I, I have a uh, book events when I have a book coming out and you go on a, you're just anybody that shows up. You're just delighted. You know, that they came at all. This is wonderful. There's now there's five people here. It's so great. Um, <laughs> that's what happens. So um, let's talk about the time that, that you got caught. Cause you did, you were, you were, how long were you there? You were, you were undercover for a long time. It was many months, right? It was from November, 2020 until September 27th, 2021, but I tried to continue on <laughs> despite having been sauced. So um, I was docs on 4chan September 27th, 2021. And then people didn't know it first. Then as people like trickled, QAnon people found out first. And I was like, well, I can still go to fascist events. And then all the fascists blocked me on social media. My friends were like, please don't please don't go to anything anymore. Please stay home. Yeah. <laughs> like, once you, once you but get, I could do it. <laughs> you could be like, I, but no, the QAnon people are just saying that because it's part of the thing. Don't you understand? <laughs> I'm over the target busting the grooming, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. So somebody just found you out. And uh, so. 
Oh, yeah. Then all of a sudden, They've been you, trying. Couldn't, you couldn't do this anymore. Um, how did you react? How was that for you? Was it was uh, it a relief? Was it horrifying? Like what? I reacted, I would say, extremely poorly. <laughs> um, okay. I, so I had been scheduled to go to an event at um, Trump Doral, like literally October 3rd. So just a week after. Yeah. I got doxxed and, and 4chan had been trying to dox me, but I was on social media on Twitter. I was going, I had a little, um, Franklin, the turtle from the children's book series was my mm-hmm. avatar. And I was going by the name Frank. And I think I chose Frank because of Frank speech, Mike Lindell's like weird okay. <laughs> social media platform. Um, and then once I had Frank, I was like, oh, I'll put the turtle off. So I have something. So, but everybody thought I was a guy. And I did a handful of um, live streams for QAnon Anonymous' podcast. I never did their podcast. That would have been extremely dangerous. But I did the live streams. So a few thousand people of this in. People would hear my voice. And they would know I'm a woman. They, they called me she. And then follow me on Twitter. And then, like, maybe three weeks later, they would forget that I was actually a woman. And they would just, yeah. you know, frank the dude. But because of that, it was also happening on 4chan. So they're like, oh, this is definitely a man. We're looking for this man. And, um, you know, so I kind of like went through and like was piecing together all their, their puzzles. And like, they finally got me. And they were so, so proud of themselves. And um, they are proud boys. <laughs> it's very true. And they were like putting me on um, all over Twitter. And I was and, like, I have a social media presence. And I always have. Like I've previously when I've written, I like I've been on CNN to talk about my writing and photography, like in Baltimore after Freddie Gray died. I mean, like the, the paper trail was there. It's just phenomenal how nobody ever did any research into me. Um, so, you know, they they made a telegram channel about me <laughs> um, and they put all these pictures up of me. And it's just like Amanda Moore is a 33 year old communist infiltrator in Washington, wow. D.C. <laughs> um, and so this guy uh, who was the COO of a company run by a man called QAnon John that's organizing all these events across the country. He, he and I were buddies and he sent me a screenshot of my docs and was like, you know, is this, this is you. And I'm like, no, it's not. And then they sent me the, the link to the QAnon anonymous uh, live stream that I did. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I was like, I, you know, I panicked. But I realized the fascists didn't know yet. It was only in the QAnon circles. And so I kept talking to them. And, and that went on for several more weeks. And then one day, Shane blocked me on Instagram. I was like, what do I do? And this is when I messed up. I did not know what to do. I mean, there's like no guidebook for this. No. You know, like there's like, who, who can relate to this, <laughs> right? So I, I was talking to um, Mike Rothschild, who's a a QAnon researcher. And I was like, I, you know, I got to put my face out there. I got to just do it, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get all this. Like if you, if you want to just dox yourself, dox yourself, it's not a big deal. He's like the bad people already know. And I was like, okay, so I did it. And I immediately went to a bar. I got drunk. Okay. <laughs> I tweeted my face and my name and all of this. And I've been undercover and all of this. And I just abandoned my phone. Um, Harry, you didn't go to Harry's. I hope. No. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, oh, it's you again. Uh, they pull up my own Twitter. Let me, we've been looking for you. Um, so I, I like, I, but I lost it. Like I, there was the next day, the event that I was supposed to be at for QAnon John, whose COO had let me know I was doxxed. Like they started giving speeches about me, um, talking about me. They started running live streams about me. And that was all fine. But on the other hand, I was so depressed because I'm like, I started with this goal and I had tickets to um, 
multiple events that I had to cancel. And I was like, you know, I had a mission and my mission was to go through to the end of December. And, and I, I basically was like, I failed. And so I was like crying on the floor, crying in bed, you know, and like, this is why I told my friends, you know, I'm still going to go, even though I'm doxxed. Um, and I really kind of had like no direction because I, you know, I had taken out of the depression that I was feeling my life upended from COVID and I kind of just didn't deal with it. And instead went and did <laughs> what did our cover as a Nazi. And it's like, now I have to do all of this all at one time. This is too much. I cannot do this at all. Um, but something that I think is interesting about the whole experience is that, you know, a lot of the QAnon people would try to antagonize me and, you know, um, like I said, speeches and live streams, but the, the actual fascists, the ones that I knew all blocked me and just pretended like they never met me. Mm. Uh, just like a complete shutdown. But, you know, I, but outside of that, like other fascists, you know, my address gets posted on, on Instagram all the time, you know, all of my personal information, they like start, you know, messaging everyone. I know if you follow me on my personal Instagram, they start messaging you and like telling you all these things about me. Um, and that comes in waves. Like it still happens sometimes, but it's not as big of a deal now. In the beginning, it was a much bigger deal because people were very confused <laughs> about what what's going on. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I just, you know, I was, I was so mad. I was so mad at myself for uh, getting caught because I really wanted to go to the end of December, which well, is, I, I think, was like, that's when I'm going to run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had a good run and, you know, it, it would have been much more horrifying if you got caught while you were there and something bad happened physically, you know, which easily could have yeah. happened with a bunch of, you know, angry, drunk Nazis, you know, that's a bad combination. So, yeah. Um, and as for the, you know, the social media stuff, like I, I, I feel that with every succeeding generation, it gets easier for people to handle the social media opprobrium that's thrown at them. But, you know, it's weird when when you're the target of stuff on social media, there isn't really anything else like it that I that I yeah. know of. You know, it's very, very strange and it feels um, very violating, I think. And, uh, you know. It, it, it's a very unpleasant feeling that uh, I, I don't know wh- how else to uh, combat it. Because I think you, putting your phone in the drawer and going to a bar is literally the best thing you could do, I think. You know, just because, <laughs> and I say that to the, as a joke, but I but I, I mean it like the, whenever I get too ramped up about something that's happening online, I just remind myself, oh, I'm just going to shut the laptop and go outside. Because nobody, yeah. uh, nobody outside gives a fuck about anything that this little you know yeah. online bullshit that i'm that i'm uh all up in so so what's next for you now you've got you got found out uh this has been it's been almost a year right now you're going on yeah 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 um so you've had a year now you there's some pieces they, they did a piece in mother jones about you you've written stuff about your own situation uh what are you gonna do are you gonna you're going to write a book. You're going to do a podcast, um, like a serial podcast, sort of explaining it. Like, what, what's your plans? Or do you not want to tell me? Oh, no. So I um, originally, way back into the Mother Jones piece, I was actually supposed to have a, a piece, a fairly comprehensive piece come out um, that I had written. And I actually pulled out of it, um, but I've since gone back. So for, I, I guess you pointed out, you're right. This is going to be the one year anniversary. So for my one year anniversary, uh, yeah. I'll have a piece out that's actually going to be very detailed about my experience with Shane and the group that he was with. Um, I'm guessing sometime in the middle of next month uh, that will be out in a national magazine. Um, and then, yeah, I, so I, 
I've got a, a memoir. I wrote most of it. I had a lit agent, but we've parted ways. So after that, I'm going to look for a new agent. Um, and then I'll have, you know, that I, I think a podcast is good because people always ask that. And I think there's something to the only like real criticism I get about my writing on the back end of stuff has been, you make these people sound like caricatures of people. And I'm like, well, I'm transcribing what they're saying. So <laughs> have we considered that sometimes the Nazis are caricatures of humans? <laughs> you know, like I, what do you want me to say? Um, and I think there's something about hearing these people's voices say things like I want a friendlier Nazi Germany and we should kick all of the Jamaicans and Puerto Ricans out of their homes and send them back to where they came from. I think there's something to hear like someone actually say that versus reading the written word, um, yeah. especially because like, I'm obviously a biased, you know, source. Like I'm not like trying to pretend like I'm not. Um, and so I, ideally I would like to do a podcast at some point because I would really like, and it's also, I have 400 hours of audio. And I mean, some of that is me like driving to an event <laughs> or like whatever, you know, with my microphone already set up in the Uber or something, but like, yeah, ideally, but the first thing will be a fairly big article next month. Okay. That's good. We'll be, we'll be excited to hear that. That's interesting that you say that about the caricature, because when I read the piece that you wrote, I got the opposite. I had the opposite effect. I felt like you did sort of humanize the people that were there to the point that it made me think of them less like, uh, just mindless zombie moron, hateful assholes, which is what I usually think of them. Um, and more as, oh, okay, I see now what maybe what the appeal is. And, you know, maybe they just went down the wrong path and in a different reality under different circumstances, they would be just fine. Um, not all of them, obviously, but I'm talking more about the 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 people that were just showed up at uh, at the rally on uh, on the 6th and not like, you know, the QAnon shaman or whatever, or the right. guy that not the guy. Uh, zip not ties, the, not zip tie man, or that that guy that put his feet on Pelosi's desk who <laughs> should never get out of prison ever again for that, in my view. But uh, you know, but yeah, what do I know? I don't, I don't get to make the laws, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so this is a good way to end. Is there anything that the mainstream media and the reporting about? these groups and the events that happened and all this kind of stuff. Is there anything that they tend to get wrong in your view? Do you read like an article and say, oh, no, 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 this, this is wrong. Damn it. Or, you know, anything you could change in the way that the stories are covered to make it more, you know, accurate. Yes. There is a very serious misunderstanding of right-wing populism by our media in this country. Um, and also of like, uh, what is meant by masculinity. So uh, there's, I mean, this is obviously also what I was embedded in. So it's kind of like what resonates most with me. So is how I, what I feel the most strongly about. Um, but, you know, a lot of right-wing populism sounds pretty good, especially if you're white and straight um, because it's meant for you. <laughs> and it's like, you know, social programs that, I mean, we should legitimately have in this country anyway. Um, and I, I just feel like every time I read something that talks about rare populism, you know, I feel like most times the message is not conveyed very well, um, of how, you know, here's some good things, but also here's like the reality of the situation. Here's how this, you know, what would actually be implemented, um, and, and stuff like that. And there's also like a misunderstanding that goes in with that, with masculinity. And this is something like I've talked about before, um, Sometimes you'll get like a Josh Hawley type or whoever who will say, you know, uh, we're not like 
men are not masculine. Like masculinity is like undervalued. Um, and people kind of laugh at that because obviously like his silly little run to the Capitol was very funny. Legitimately, <laughs> extremely funny. Um, it's one of the funniest but, things of all time. Yeah. It's, it was so good. And the way they did it in the committee, just like uh, not talking about Josh Hawley at all. And all of a sudden here he is running, just totally hilarious. I was like, but, they shivved him. They shivved that guy. Jeez. It was awesome. So funny. I, I don't know. I loved it. Yeah. But like when he talks about masculinity, like he's obviously like not when you think of like physical masculinity, he's not like strong type, you know, he's not like what you think of. And I think that's what people are associating. But when he's talking about like we need more masculinity in this country, he's talking about being able to provide for a family. Um, and so like a lot of this, you know, rhetoric of about how, you know, you shouldn't have to have two working parents and we should be able to have, you know, more children. What people, what they're really saying is that we should have more white children and that there should be more programs implemented so that, you know, white people can, can produce and it's intelligent, well-off white people, you know, reproducing. It's really what they want, but it's not how it's presented. And so I think it's just like a, a misunderstanding of people and not just the media and then kind of getting craving populism, which was um, something that we should probably talk about more in schools given how right-wing populism has caused some problems in various places in this world in the past, you know, <laughs> has it, I don't know. Um, yes, we should. Um, and, and, and all in schools in all States, except Florida, I think now we're allowed to do that. I think, Flo I think based on what I'm reading from DeSantis, I think all these unemployed, like uh, guys in the, in this fascist group are going to go be teachers in Florida because I think that at this point they're taking just about anybody. So, yeah, I mean, Teachers, like I, I cannot imagine. I, I truly can't. When, when this is a tangent, and I'm sorry, I don't know how like long, but oh, when when I was undercover, I went to an event in, in Greenville, South Carolina, which is like, and like Linwood was there, uh, the QAnon lawyer Linwood, and and Presley Stites was there. Presley Stites was like a big Tea Party guy, and he's actually who convinced Linwood to run for office in South Carolina, like their buddies. And Presley says he's now dead. He got COVID and died like shortly after I met him. Um, in fact, we might've been at the same event where he got COVID on. Um, he like was teaching a class basically on like how to like run for school board and like how to take over and like bragging about how they had terrorized their local barely elected GOP people into quitting because they wanted to have like this fascist MAGA like takeover of their like local South Carolina uh, party and I know like the exact same thing happened in Florida with the school boards. I just didn't know anybody involved with it. Um, and it's like it's the Tea Party playbook completely, just you know redone a little bit to to be dressed up to MAGA. And I don't. I mean, it, it's going to be. I think within a year or two, nobody, no matter how well intentioned you are, like no matter how like principled you are, it's not worth it for the amount of stress that your family, your children are going to have if you like try to like, you know, keep your position. So yeah, they're yeah. going to make the rules whatever you want. Like, do you think that Joe Biden won the election? No. Okay. All right. You're hired. You're a teacher now. Like that's yeah. that's the you know like that's. It's sort of terrifying, and it's so it's really self-defeating. I mean, that's the thing. Like if there's Josh Hawley people, if they want that, if they want, uh, you know, white supremacy so that white people are having more babies, getting rid of Roe v. Wade is not going to accomplish that. It's going to do the opposite. It's going to make fewer white people in this country ultimately in the next 25 years. It's just math. And I guess math is something that they don't teach anymore that is that too critical critical race math is that like a thing i don't, I don't know uh it, it just i i don't like i don't like i don't like ideological purity anyway because i feel like it there's never 
uh, there's always exceptions. There's always areas of gray. And I feel like politicians, you know, on either side should be more pragmatic and, um, and flexible with, 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 you know, with their views, um, you know, in terms of policy, uh, if not, uh, I guess I, I am sort of a, a hard ass about voting. I think everybody should be able to vote, for example. I think that that's pretty basic. But, you know, apart from that, um, I don't know. So where do you wh- how, how are you feeling um, on a on a scale of one being actually let's go to negative numbers, negative 10 being extremely pessimistic. The sea levels can't rise fast enough to 10 being like, Oh my God, everything, this, this bullshit is now over and the United States is going to be fine. Where are you on that spectrum right now? Okay. Well, I'm glad we're doing this after the primaries like are done. <laughs> Cause I have a much different answer than I would have had a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, so I think obviously not 10, um, you know, I, <laughs> I think I'm pretty like on, on a level. I'm not sure where that level is um, because I think it's hard to say anything until we have the presidential election in 2024. Like that's kind of like, I think we're like step, not steady. I think it's not great, but um, I think that that's going to be the defining moment. Like under no situation should any Republican win the presidency. It does not matter. I don't care if Liz Cheney is who's running. Like we need to not have a Republican in office. Yeah. You know, I'm feeling much better after the primaries, after seeing Laura Loomer and some Proud Boys and Sabatini all lose. And Sabatini is already an elected official. So, you know, the fact he's lost, it's great. Um, I'm feeling better about it, but we've also, we've got a problem. We've got a Secretary of State problem. We've got a QAnon Secretary of State coalition that's, you know, being organized throughout the country that has numerous viable candidates um, running for office under their little organization together. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I kind of, it, just depends, it depends on the day. Some days yeah. I feel better. Other days I'm like, maybe instead of going to London to finish my book, I'll just, I'll be an illegal immigrant in London. <laughs> I won't leave when my six months are up. And other days I'm like, it's it'll probably be okay. <laughs> oh, L- London's even worse than here. I, y- y- <laughs> I don't At least know. I didn't record any of them there. <laughs> <laughs> you can infiltrate the Tories when you're there. You're going to have to work on your British accent, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to be, no, I'll be all of, all of the like weird fascist people in the streets in, in England are all Americans that go out there and like start radio shows. <laughs> so oh, I could yeah. actually, I could fit in great. <laughs> Maybe you and Nigel Farage could like switch places or something. We could, you know, they, they, he was at he was at CPAC. Um, okay, so your your Twitter handle is No Turtle Soup Seventeen. Is that a new Twitter that you did after all this stuff went down? Is that and what does that mean? Yeah, I was the cancel mob before. Um, so after Turtle <laughs> Soup, so there's an so in July of 2021, Alex Jones was on his show and he got drunk as he does. Okay. And he, uh, he did a weird strip tease. He took off his shirt, did a little dance. And then one of the hosts on Alex Jones's show has a pet turtle and he made fun of the turtle and then like threatened to eat it or something. So I was like, he's like, he threatened to make turtle soup out of it. So okay. I was like, Oh, that's a shout out to me. Cause I'm a little turtle named Frank and I'll take it. It wasn't mm-hmm. really, but it was just a joke. So, um, so I ran with that. And then 17 is the QAnon number. So I went with that too, just to. Oh, uh, wait, why is it? A, why, what does it mean? 17? Why is that a Q? Well, it's the 17th letter of the alphabet. It's Q. Ah. So it's like a shorthand. So they'll say, oh, 17, you know. Oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Okay. All right. See, we learn something new every day. Okay. So yeah. your Twitter handle is at no turtle soup 17. That's a one seven. 
Um, and you have a web, you, well, you have your link tree on there. Um, yeah. People can go, you have a cash app on there. People want to go support your work. Amanda Moore, yeah. this, has been, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I learned a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail. issues of the day are really complicated. Everybody loves a good hot take, but really understanding an issue takes some digging. I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. Join us each week as we dig deep into pressing legal topics. Listen to It's Complicated anywhere you get your podcasts and check out our YouTube channel.